our philosophy is sort of invest, uh, be smart with most of the money and have fun with some of it. I do it every day. I mean, personal development for me is is number one. I read. I'm always reading. So that's to me, that's a bare minimum. I mean, anyone can can set aside 10 or 15 minutes a day to study your craft, no matter what you do, uh, whether it's professional related or better parenting or, or whatever it is your passion. There's so much cheap and, and free information out there, be it books, podcasts, uh, YouTube. So I don't know, for me, it's it's just something I do every day. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 252. Clark, what's going on in your world, man? How you doing? Dude, that sounds pretty cool. It almost sounds cooler than 250, 252. Yeah, I know. It's got a nice little ring to it, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, nothing, nothing much for me here. I mean, well, I guess some. We'll get into that a little bit, but any big news on your end? Kind of getting ready for the fall travel schedule. School starting here for the kids. And, uh, dude, I actually just, we just bought tickets to, uh, I didn't tell you this yet, but uh, we're going to be headed off to... Uh, Australia and New Zealand here in a few months. So excited oh, about really? that. Yeah. Uh, you going with the whole family or just you and your wife? No, man. This is going to be my, me and my wife. First trip that we've oh, been on together without cool. the kids. Very yeah. cool. How long are you guys going? Uh, I think we're gone like 11 or 12 days or something. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. I know, man. I'm pumped. That sounds great. That's going to yeah. be great. Yeah. We went to uh, we went to Australia a few years ago and it was very memorable. Yeah. Very memorable trip, but never made it to New Zealand. So I'm a little jealous. That sounds fun. Yeah. And you even met with a couple of our, or one of our listeners, right? When you were there? Yeah. I met with one of our listeners in Cairns or Cairns. I can't, I, you know, he's probably laughing, maybe trying to pronounce that, but yeah, uh, he signed a book that he had written. I think he was a financial advisor in, in Cairns, one of our um, Northeast Australia coast. And yeah, we went up there for a little trip and and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, that's that's the fun thing about this, right? Is connecting with people and making a difference and feeling like you're making an impact in in people's lives. I mean, Jason and I have interviewed. We've got this is the 252nd episode, like we just said, but we probably have another. How many are we at, Jace? Now, 30 or so uh, interviews that have been recorded and are are ready to go. I mean, we've got to edit them up and do some intros. But yeah, so some some news, I guess, on the podcast front here is I, this is Clark talking, I'm going to be stepping away from the podcast and Jace is going to keep it rolling. So I'm going to move on to some other things and focus on different things in career and life and family. And Jace is going to keep this this baby rolling for us. So it's been a great journey. Jace and I are obviously best of friends here. And I think, Jace, one thing that I've loved with it is just connecting with so many different people from so many aspects and different areas of life and all the lessons learned. I viewed a lot of our millionaires as mentors in a sense, right? When you collectively pool everybody's advice and just reflect on the lessons learned, you can pull bits and pieces from everyone. And I think that's one of the best things or things that I enjoy doing is just pursuing excellence in any form and trying to learn things from everybody to try to make my life and my family and impact on others and everything the best way that I can. So I just thank all of our millionaires that have come on and will come on. And um, I think it's, you know, it's a great platform for getting people's messages out that 
may not be able to share it some other way. So a big thank you to everybody listening and everybody that will continue to listen. You'll continue to hear my voice because we have some of these episodes in the pipeline still to come. Once, you know, once those wind down, you'll just be hearing from Jay. So, uh, our, be- our better half. So anyway, just wanted to share that announcement here on 252. So there you go, Jace. There it is. That's what that's what's going on in my life. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's uh it's it's been a little wild journey for us for sure over the last I yeah, guess five been, years. You know, we started, yeah, five years, over three million downloads, two hundred and fifty two episodes, and so yeah. The most rewarding thing I think for us, and I think this is with me stepping away and you would probably agree even in six months or a year or two years ago, you know, I think one of the most rewarding things is the impact you leave on people. And when we get those messages in that say, thanks, you know, you've made a difference and you helped me pick up or learn this or take my life or my, my whatever, you know, knowledge in a different way that I didn't realize. And I just enjoy these stories. So we appreciate everybody that's written out to share that. Um, Obviously, you get some negative ones as well, right? But we are, we're always trying to improve and grow, and, and that's part of the game is hopefully we can influence in a positive way as many people as we can. Yeah. We're, we're for sure going to miss you, man, but you know, maybe every now and again we'll have to have you on as an honorary host or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, got, when you got some great interviews, I'll just come on in and ask some more questions. And Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's been a fun... Uh, we love personal finance, Jason and I, and that was, you know, initially part of the start was our curiosity and wanting to learn, as we've said all along. So still still love it, right? Still definitely a hobby and a passion and still enjoy teaching that to others as much as I can. Yeah, totally. And like you said, you're going to you're going to hear from Clark actually for for quite some time, at least probably through the end of the year, I'd imagine, because we've got we've got several interviews that, that we've kind of recorded here that will get released over the next few months. And so he won't be as, as much as he says he's stepping away. You probably won't notice it as much um, for the next few months here uh, until probably maybe the beginning of the year or something. We'll see kind of how, how the cookie uh, cookie crumbles, how things fall in that <laughs> regard. But uh, yep, yep. anyway, we're excited for, for kind of this transition to some degree. I mean, the podcast is going to live on. And, uh, you know, we've got several millionaires in the pipeline. We've got several that have written in and hopefully we can get to everybody. Obviously we, we may not be able to, um, as this show has grown in, in, in popularity and whatnot, but, you know, big thank you to, to Clark. Obviously this thing would not be, uh, where it is today or, or what it is today without Clark's, uh, contributions and influence here too. And so you'll be making some honorary, honorary, uh, appearances every now and again, I'm sure. And I'll be excited for those. Yeah, selfishly. I mean, it goes both ways. We t- we tag teamed it well for a while, and it took you know, podcasts are hard. It takes you a couple. It you know, it took us a couple of years to get off the ground and get the following and and keep it growing and get people interested. But you know, once it starts to grow, it it really starts to take off as it spreads out. So, been a long ride, right? Five years, twenty seventeen, we started this baby. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? I started we started this before I even had any kids, and now I've got three. <laughs> oh my wild. gosh, I did not even realize that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've grown up with dad podcasting, you know, in the, in his office. Mm-hmm. And anyway, exciting times. So anyway, this week we have Tim. He has a net worth of $3.83 million spread across multiple asset classes, including a paid for house and a second home that he uses and lists on Airbnb. And a bunch of the rest is, is across the market. He gets into why he doesn't like landlording. Uh, which I know if we've had a few people actually write in recently about this topic and, and we'll, I'll address this, uh, you know, down the road here. 
we've got several listener uh, comments and questions that have come in. And so on future intros, we'll get to those. Um, last week we had Mark getting it worth of just over $10 million uh, with his pension. A little over half of that was in the, in the market between retirement accounts and his brokerage, which had about a 63% stocks to bond split. And we also kind of got into that, uh, you know, bonds and philosophy on bonds in the intro last week. So that's episode 251 if you want to go check that out. And so without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Tim. Tim, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. I'm in software sales. I've been in the industry now for about 21 years, graduated uh, back in 2000. And uh, my entire career, I've been in software sales. I started out uh, very junior, right out of college, uh, cold calling companies, finding leads for uh, the reps I supported, and then gradually started selling. And uh, it's the only career I've ever ever known. Awesome. And we're going to get a little bit more into your career and career path. But what's your net worth today? Uh, Net worth today is $3.83 million. And how is that broken up? Uh, That is split up. Let's see. So uh, 401k and IRA is uh, combined for myself and my wife is $1.161 million. Our Roth IRAs are $211,000. Our taxable brokerage is $595,000. Cash is $107K. And um, then we got home equity about $1.3. Three six eight million uh, college money for our two kids, just shy of three hundred fifty k, and then we also set up some investments for our kids. Uh, that's at forty three k. Awesome. So you're pretty well diversified. Is the home paid off? Yeah, we actually we have two homes that are, that, that we have here. So our primary residence is paid off. Uh, that's worth at a, about eight hundred thousand uh, here in Massachusetts. So I know you get a lot of listeners in the Midwest and other lower lower uh, cost states of of uh, ownership here in the Northeast. Things are quite expensive. So yeah, the house is paid off. It's worth about eight hundred. We paid four sixty for it back in two thousand twelve. So we've seen some really good appreciation with that. And then we have a secondary property. It's a uh, it's a vacation rental slash uh, home for us when it's not rented, and uh, that's worth about six fifty. And we owe 80, 86000 on that. So we did a we did a 15-year note. We've been trying to pay that off aggressively as well. And did you what was the purchase price on that one? The purchase price on that was four oh five. And uh, that's in Maine. And it really it, it, that value was sort of status quo for a number of years. It really didn't increase, I'd say, until like the last two years when COVID hit. Uh, as you guys know, real estate has been booming across the country. But uh, we've seen a, a lot of our net worth increase uh, in real estate, I'd say probably say the last two years. And we don't we don't really it's not a great investment when we it's something that I'm actually thinking about selling. Uh, so the vacation rental for us, we rent it just uh, just in the summer and we save a couple weeks for ourselves. So we, we break even on it. Uh, so we have a lot of equity sitting in there. It's not really generating uh, income for us per se, but the rental income is uh, is covering our costs and, and breaking even. But uh, looking back earlier in my career, I did have a, a bad taste with being a landlord. Back in my mid-20s, I, uh, I read the Rich Dad Poor Dad books. I'm sure you guys are familiar with them with, with Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, in our mid-20s, we bought a three-family apartment building. And uh, I determined very quickly that I'm not cut out to be a landlord. Uh, we, we kept that for about two years, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I know a lot of your listeners are, are big on passive income with rental properties. I'd say God bless them if they've got the, the skin to deal with tenant phone calls and leaky pipes and, and all 
all sorts of stuff. For me, it's just not worth it. So the uh, the vacation rentals has been nice because we charge a premium. We get the money up front. They're there for a week and they're gone. So it's really only work for, for two months out of the year. Do you have a management company that manages it or is it just you? Just me. Just me. And uh, we, we listed on VBRO. We have a lot of people that return as well. Um, when I say just me, we have a cleaner. So the cleaner goes in there on weekends and, and in between guests to take care of it. Yeah, I thought about using a property management company, but we only have one unit. And I like the renters to know that this is our unit. We take a lot of pride and ownership in it. I try to form a relationship with them. And uh, so far now, with 11 years of renting it, we've never had a single issue. That's awesome. So how much have you put into all these other investments versus how much has been growth? Do you know that by, by chance? That's a good question. I mean, a lot of it, well, we, so just taking a step back. So, so my wife's a registered nurse. Uh, you know, we both started to kind of enter the professional workforce back in 2000. And um, I would say we didn't really take investing seriously for a couple of years. And it wasn't until I really lost my job in 2002. I think that was a wake up call for me. So back, if you guys remember this, the, the dot com burst back in 2001, 2002, uh, the tech heyday uh, quickly came to a screeching halt. So the company that I worked for let go about 50% of its workforce. I was part of it. And that was a, a wake up call for me that even though I was, a, I was a, a top producer in my position, I was the, the the best inside sales rep the company had, I got let go. And at the time it was pretty traumatic, but looking back on it, it was awesome. Cause I mean, <laughs> I didn't have a family. I didn't have a mortgage. I was still living at home with my parents. But it was at the time it was stressful. It was a it was a big hit to my uh, to my ego and my security. So after that, that's when I sort of started taking investing and saving seriously. And uh, I owe a lot of I guess our philosophy too to my father in law. He really is the millionaire next door, uh, and he taught me from then you know save, live below your means pay off your house and invest in the stock market. That's probably a roundabout way of- No, no, it's good. It's good. How old were you when you lost your job? 20, let's see, that'd be 2002, so 23. So let's talk about that because you didn't think you would, right? And you were a high performer and that's kind of one message you shared before we started recording here is that even though you're a high performer and you think you're safe, you may not be. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I think it happened at a good time in my career. I, I, you know, looking back on it, I had really no responsibilities except for paying my parents' rent and my car payment. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, at the time, and the economy was really going. It was tough. It was tough to find the new job then. And uh, yeah, it was it was a tough time. But looking back on it, it was a good life lesson for me. And uh, again, that's I think what sort of gave me that um, inner desire to just create my own security, my own financial security. So if it does happen again, um, we're fine. And that was a, a big driver for me to pay off my my uh, our house which uh i forget when we paid it off the first time we, we actually paid off two houses we we paid off our first house probably i don't know our early 30s uh and then we sold it at a bad time we we bought it at the worst time so we bought our first house uh in the real estate peak back in 2006 we overpaid and then we we paid it off uh we bought it for four hundred and forty five thousand dollars paid it off in a few years. We had a big down payment. And then as I became more successful in my career uh, and our income increased, every commission check I got, we would just plow into the mortgage or plow into our investments. My Our philosophy is sort of invest, uh, be smart with most of the money and have fun with some of it. So that is a, you know, I know you've got some people that are big into the fire movement. I do want to be financially independent uh, sooner rather than later. But I also realize that life is short and we don't, we all don't know how much time we have on this planet. So you, you got to enjoy the moment and still have fun, go on vacations and, and buy things that make you happy and give you fulfillment. 
So what does that mean for you, Tim? Is it a certain amount of money or has it be, you know, you're, you're worth $4 million. So somebody could say, well, yeah, once I get to that point, maybe I can spend more. But were you always that way or has it been harder to turn on that spending? I tend to spend when I <laughs> when I close big deals and I know I've got sizable commission checks coming in, that's sort <laughs> tend to say, okay, what do we need? Right. So, but if we're not, you know, my, my income is, is highly dependent on my performance. So while I've, I've been fortunate to have uh, years of, of very high W2s, it's all completely performance driven. So uh, you eat what you kill sort of in our industry here. But yeah, when I, when I have large commission checks coming in, that's when I tend to be more generous with my spending on, on what if, if we need something or I'm big. I have good hobbies. I'm big into mountain biking. So that's when I'll sort of splurge and, and maybe buy a, a new carbon wheel set or something for my bike. So how much do you we, we usually ask this at the end, but what's been your range of household income through your working life? So start. it's funny you say that I, I went on to uh, if you're if you haven't done this, it's a fun exercise is log on to Social Security dot com. You can create an account and see what you've made ever since you started filing a tax return. So in 2000, when I graduated college, I uh, came out with a $35,000 salary. I thought it was loaded. Uh, so the, for the first few years, I, <laughs> so let's see, from 2000 to 2004, my income ranged from 35,000 to 70,000. From 2004 to 2005, that's when I took a role of actually selling to um, to smaller accounts. That was about 100 to 130,000 in income. And then from 2006 and on, that's when I took the, the role of a field salesperson uh, in technology, and my incomes range from 360 to 560. Wow, good for you. So 35 to 550, 560-ish. Yeah, it was a pretty big leap. So how do you get into software sales? <laughs> uh, I stumbled into it. Honestly, I, I stumbled into it. I went to a, a, a private Catholic college here in Massachusetts, primarily because my sister went there. I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I studied marketing. And my parents kind of urged me to do it because as a kid, I was always bartering. I was, you know, buying things, selling things, you, could, you name it, hockey pucks, bicycles, anything I get my hand on, I would, I would sort of buy and sell. So flipping at a young age. So my parents sort of pushed me towards uh, marketing since there wasn't a, a degree for sales. And uh, really, what like my senior my senior year, I was surfing uh, surfing. I was on the web looking for a job. And my one of my TAs in my uh, graphics art class said, "Hey, if you're looking for a job, this tech company I'm interning at is hiring." And I saw what they were looking for. It was a sales associate. It said, "Make cold calls, attend trade shows, and set up set up leads for the field." I said, "I can do that." So I interviewed. Uh, it was a good hit. Um, or good fit rather. And uh, yeah, I, I stumbled into it and it was just a, a really good fit for my skill set. Looking back on when I was in high school, I was never really a smart student. I was a, a BC student at best. I didn't really apply myself. I wasn't one of those like just naturally gifted smart people, but I always had a hard work ethic. That's something my father instilled in me uh, at a very young age is just work hard. And I think he uh, he made me do that in the yard, right? Like Like mowing lawns, raking leaves, raking in the woods. I mean, my father worked me pretty hard as a kid, but it taught me a work ethic. And uh, in college, they sat me down. They said, we're, we're refinancing our, our house to pay for your education. So you have to get good grades. And that's when I started to apply myself. But I, I again, I was never a naturally gifted student. I had to work really, really hard to get good grades. So I took that work ethic. And when I got into sales, um, I applied myself and it, and it worked. Um, and again, even when I, when I got into software sales, I was terrible at first. I was really, really bad. But I, uh, I, I read a ton of books. I applied myself. I found mentors. I went to uh, training courses and just tried to get as, as, uh, as good as I could at my craft. And, uh, and it paid off. 
Yeah. How do you decide how much time and money to invest in yourself in those in those sort of things, education and conferences and mentoring and, and that kind of stuff? I do it every day. I mean, personal development for me is is number one. I read. I'm always reading. So that's to me, that's a bare minimum. I mean, anyone can can set aside 10 or 15 minutes a day to study your craft, no matter what you do, uh, whether it's professional related or better parenting or, or whatever it is your passion. There's so much cheap and, and free information out there, be it books, podcasts, uh, YouTube. So I don't know, for me, it's it's just something I do every day. And then luckily, too, the companies I've worked for have also invested in me. So they sent me to trainings and to seminars. But um, I don't know, sales, sales, especially technology sales is hard. I mean, it's very lucrative if you, if you do well, but it's hard. There's a lot of turnover and it's a very stressful career. Yeah, I read an article or saw a couple headlines last week or something or the last couple of weeks that they're having a harder time filling sales jobs now. And, and I, I, just as you were talking, I'm like, I wonder if I'm remembering that correctly. So I went back and Googled it. I just typed in sales jobs and went to news. And the top two things that came up to me, two articles, why recruiters are struggling to fill sales jobs. And the second, sales career may be a hard sell for young people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. And I, I know a lot of, obviously, a lot of folks in the, uh, in the industry. And I guess I would add to that, too. It's, it's really hard to find good salespeople. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of average salespeople. There's a lot, of, a lot of bad salespeople who unfortunately give this profession a bad name. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough skill set because you want to be, especially in technology sales, you want to be consultative, you want to be professional, you want to be pushy. But at the end of the day, you know, I have a quota to hit, and my company expects me to, to produce revenue. So let me just let me ask you on one thing we talked about was buying real estate. You said you bought yeah. a three-family apartment in your early twenties, right? Yeah. You called it a big mistake. I want to yeah. talk about that because. We do have a lot of people that come on that have uh, real estate, right? Yeah. So about what percent, Chase? I think we've done the math, 65 or 70% or something of our That's millionaires have a, a secondary rental or some side of real estate. So I want to talk about that. Why do you feel like it was a mistake and why do you feel like it's not for you? I mean, I guess you do have a second home that you rent, out, but yeah. that's a little bit more of a vacation thing and you said it breaks even. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think looking back on it, um, I was, I, you know, I, I read the Kiyosaki books. I guess you could say I was a motivated buyer and I was a, I was a very naive buyer. So I bought a bad building, uh, that needed a lot of repairs. It was in a very blue collar, what I call like transient, uh, place where tenants kind of roam around that just, they turn over quickly. And, um, the building had issues. The driveway had issues. For example, there were, there were retaining walls and a fence. So two parts of the driveway had retaining walls and the other side had a chain link fence. So here in New England, uh, we get snow. So that was mistake. Was big mistake. There, there was no place to put the snow. So for me, it was it was a it was a bad building. I inherited bad tenants, and this is also when my professional career started to take off. And uh, it just was a head for me. It was a headache that just wasn't worth pursuing because I was I was saying, listen, if I have this extra time that I can uh, use to either maintain my property or to go find another deal where I could make, you know, 30 or 50K in commission, the sales side of it was was more lucrative for me. So I cut my losses. It was also when we were starting our family and uh, we were uh, you know expecting our first child. So we cut our losses and uh, and sold it back before the uh, the real estate market collapsed. And thank God we did sell it when we did because it dropped tremendously in value when the when the real estate market collapsed uh, in 08 and 09. But Tim, I want to ask, just going on this career track that you've been on, you mentioned that you went into a, a leadership position 
and decided it wasn't for you. How did that come about and why did you decide it wasn't for you? Sure. So when you're in this position for as, as long as I've been, which is now 21 years, there's kind of two tracks you can take. There's the the life lifer uh, sales rep that I'd call it the person where, you know, when you do it into your 50s and maybe into even your 60s if, if you so desire. But I will say this is a young man's game. And I've got friends that are in their 50s now that are having harder times uh, finding employment. There's definitely some, I would say, uh, you know, perceptions on age that the older you get, you're not going to work as hard. But uh, I don't know. I was, I was working for a, a rapidly growing company and the opportunity presented itself where they said, hey, you've been a great job as an individual performer. We want to promote you and have you manage a team. And I, I thought it was the, the next logical step. It was a much higher base and a slightly higher uh, variable compensation if the team all hit their number. But that's a tough thing to do. So anyway, I, I took that role and uh, I quickly realized that I like managing myself and I like managing my deals more so than I like managing people. And uh, I did the math and I said, even if I if I hit my number as a, as a VP and managing the team, I would make less money than if I over exceeded as an individual contributor, which I've always done. So I decided for me that quality of life and uh, just work-life balance and stress was easier being an individual contributor than it was to manage people. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think just in our culture and society, a lot of times, you know, we've, we've got this you know, hierarchy in a lot of these companies, right? And we're striving to get to that next level or next pay grade or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people get to your level and realize, you know, this this is what I've been working for. This is where I want to be. And then maybe they don't evaluate it the same way you did and and get stuck in a job they don't like or in a position they don't want to be in or whatever else. And, you know, it takes a lot of maturity and a lot of, I guess, self-awareness to decide and, and to make the move that you made. I think that a lot of people won't. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think a lot of people... You know, some people are title chasing, right? They they want the fancy title, and uh, they feel it's very prestigious. For me, uh, <laughs> I could you could call me whatever you want, right? Um, I I really did not care about the title. At the end of the day, especially now where, where I'm at with what we've you know built up here for net worth, um, I don't want to say that we're you know the term coast fire, I guess is is popular now, right? Where like if you don't contribute anything else, you'll be fine. I I feel like you know we're kind of at that stage, so. Uh, I don't know. I try to find that happy balance of, of, you know, what's, what's, how can I make a lot of money, but still have a good quality of life, enjoy what I do and and not pull my hair out at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. So do your family and friends know of your wealth at all? Uh, yes and no. I mean, not to the degree that we're like, not the specifics of, of our dollars. I, I haven't shared that with anyone, but uh, my wife is a stay at home. And I didn't say that at the beginning, but my wife right now, she's a stay at home mom. She was a, a nurse. She's a registered nurse, still is. But uh, she stopped. When COVID hit, uh, we decided that it wasn't worth the risk for her to keep working. And uh, even even when she was working, she was um, basically per diem, which means part time in the in the nursing world. And uh, she was. I told her, I said, "Honey, work work enough just to max out your 403b." So when she was working, she was making you know fifteen or well, I guess at the time probably eighteen thousand dollars a year. And 100% of her pay was going to her 403B. Um, so she hasn't worked since COVID started. And uh, yeah, getting back to your question, do our, do our friends and family know? I mean, they know that we're, they know, they know we have a nice house. They know that we have a second house that we rent out and they know that we have nice cars, but 
I don't think they know the level of the specifics of what we've accumulated for net worth. And I don't really share that with people. Totally. Do you talk to your friends at all about investments or anybody in general about how you invest or strategies? I do. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a diehard index fund guy. Uh, and it's an interesting story there too, is um, I got burned. I know this is a question you always ask your the, the folks you interview is, have you worked with a financial advisor? And, uh, and I did back in 2006. Actually, once I started making decent commission checks, I said, Hey, I got to have someone help me. I got to have someone help me invest this money. So uh, I worked with uh, a gentleman that I went to high to college to college with. He worked for Smith Barney and uh, you know, he, he sold me a great, you know, the great story of, okay, you, you know, you get a, a dentist that takes care of your teeth. You get a mechanic that takes care of your car. Why not hire a, a professional money manager to help you grow your wealth? And um, so I invested with him. And when the financial collapse happened in 2008 and I never even received a phone call, let alone any type of, of uh, evasive maneuvers to help preserve what I had invested with them, I realized that I was paying, you know, for nothing. And that's when I found um, boggleheads.org. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that website. Um, I'm a, a red, you know, big fan of Jack Bogle. Read his book. I, I frequent his uh, his forum quite a bit. But yeah, I went from an advisor to basically a three fund portfolio back in 2008, and I haven't looked back. Interesting. And in, in that you plan on keeping that on a go forward basis as well. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's 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 brainless. It's it is. I tell my friends if you can do third grade math, you can manage your money. And that's it. And I, I so I talked. I actually talk about that with a lot of my friends. And and people always say that you should be. You know, I should be a financial advisor because it's something I'm really passionate about about helping people with their finances. Uh, the challenge is I feel like you know the most financial advisor jobs are selling products that that benefit them and and not the person purchasing them. But um, but yeah, I'm a I'm a diehard index investor. Our, our portfolio right now is really simple. We're, we're 30% bonds, 70% equities, and of the equities, we're 80% US and 20% international. So where do you go from here? Are you trying to to get to a target net worth? I mean, you're, you're young, you got a high net worth. I mean, obviously, if you look at the rule of 72 and your income still stays where it is, I mean, you're going to be doubling this thing every, you know, call it three to five years. You know, pretty soon here, you're going to be decamillionaire if, if you keep on this pace, you know, in the next what, decade so. or two. I hope so. Uh, where do I go from here? Keep, keep. Keep adding to the pile. Uh, keep living below our means and enjoy life. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're big into travel. We're, we hope to go back to uh, my kids. My daughter actually just asked me today. She said, Dad, can you please promise me that we, we can go to Maui? We can go to Maui next year. So we like to travel. We love going to the tropics. And um, I don't know. Just uh, I haven't really I don't think I could stop working. Uh, and every time I, I take a, a vacation or hiatus, I, I tend to get bored. So I don't see myself doing software sales for the rest of my career. I do keep thinking like, what is my next career? Um, something that can really try to even give back to people more and, and to society. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's something I haven't really thought about, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. It's lucrative. I've got a really good work-life balance. And uh, so, yeah, I just kind of focus on, on one day at a time right now. Yeah. Tim, let me shift gears here and ask. One thing you mentioned in your investing successes is learning from your father-in-law, who's the millionaire next door. I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's actually, it's a good story. So there's, I have, there's two two interesting people in my life that have influenced influenced me. I talked about my my original, you know, my father earlier, right, who really taught me the value of a work ethic. Um, my parents are, and I grew up very middle class, right? My mom was a teacher. My dad was a a quality control manager. They never invested. Like to this day, they have they have no investments. But what they have is pensions. So they they've been taking care of of uh, their retirement that way. They I think they. 
they do really quite well actually in their pensions. And my father-in-law was the one who taught me about investing. And um, I joined his, uh, he had a stock, a stock club that he used to run, uh, investing club, so to speak, which I attended for a bit. And that's when they used to go through and actually look at, you know, individual stocks like Home Depot and GE and so forth. And, uh, and I did that for a while until I found the, uh, the Boggleheads and, you know, became a believer of index funds and just buying a market. But, uh, but he was very influential for me. I mean, my father-in-law is worth, he's in the, the multi-millions and uh, he still drives cars this day till I have 300,000 miles. He lives in a very modest ranch. He, he'll drive a half an hour to, to save on filling up his gas tank. So he's at, so I guess he's at, he's at one extreme end of the spectrum of being frugal. I don't see myself at, at that aspect of it. But um, what I have picked up from him is really investing, always invest live below your means and uh, and then provide for your, your family. Yeah. Do you worry about money or did you worry about money? Do I worry about money? Yeah. Yes and no. I worry about, honestly, what, what I worry about is continuing to be successful in my career. And it might be weird to say that, but like, I really, really hate losing <laughs> and I thrive off of, of selling of of like seeing a customer buy our product get value from it uh and and just getting tremendous fulfillment and and starting a sales cycle building relationships uh forming a partnership and and you know getting paid to do it so i don't worry about money but i do worry about not being successful in my career which i guess indirectly means i do worry about money so is that what motivates you the the desire to not fail to be successful in your career I yeah, mean, I'm just curious because I think along the way, right, you're you're worth almost four million. And I'm wondering if the motivation factor, you know, psychologically deep down, if the motivation factor has shifted as the net worth has grown and as you've gotten older, right, and figured out that you value different things. You know, it's funny because when, when I took that leadership position and I was managing people, I was bored. I was bored out of my mind and I was dealing with people's problems and, and career development and this and that. It just was not what I, I'm like, this is not fun. And I realized how much I thrive off of um, working directly with customers and uh, and beating the competition. I mean, that's something you always get like, OK, we're looking at you and your competitors and it's it's fun to compete and it's fun to win. And it's really a sense of achievement when you when you're able to make it happen. And that's what keeps me going. Honestly, that's like that's what gets me excited. What, what did it used to be? What did it used to be? Yeah. Well, motivated you before. Was it to not be poor? Was it to be rich? Was it I mean, that's what keeps you going now. What what was it initially to still excel at your career? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what motivated me? I mean, before was like like early on was getting a house, like getting out of my parents house and getting an apartment and then buying our first condo and then our house. And, uh, and then, you know, providing for, for my family and, and, you know, having my wife be able to stay home with our kids. So the motivation and the, the drivers have definitely changed throughout the, the past 21 you know, years I've been working. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a moving target. But, but right now for sure. me, it's, you know, it's the, I guess the thrill of the hunt that keeps me going. Yeah. How much do you donate to charity? Uh, we donate about 5% of our annual income to charity. And how do you decide who to give to and how much to give? It's a good question. I mean, we get hit up quite a bit throughout the year. So I would say it's sort of smatterings here and there. Um, for example, even even today, uh, um, <laughs> my friend, his neighbor's house just burned down tragically and and uh, they have a GoFundMe up. So we donated a sizable amount to them. But uh, yeah, it's kind of ad hoc. We don't we don't have like a, a weekly tithing or something like that. But it's sort of ad hoc as the as the requests come in or if we know people that are raising money for charities like cancer and whatnot, we'll donate. Yeah. Did you think you'd reach four or five million dollars net worth 
Was that a goal? No, I never thought this, honestly. You know, back in back in the, you know, from 2000 to 2010, when I just was trying to max up my 401k and, and get our Roth IRAs going, I don't know. I didn't really pay much attention to it. I guess I, I guess I didn't pay much attention to it until I got burned by the advisors or the advisor I worked with. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I never really had a net worth goal. I just said, you know, my mind was always like, okay, when you get a large windfall, pay down the debt, invest some of it, and then have fun with some of it. And uh, I would say it's, I mean, I, and I've got the actual growth here. So 2011, it took me 11 years to get to the first million. So 2011, uh, it took five years to get to the second million. That was in 2016. It took three years to get to 3 million. And I'm hoping that this year I'll cross 4 million. That's if the markets keep going the way they're going. And obviously real estate, the values appreciating in the last two years have, have also turbocharged the net worth. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, yeah, it's hard to think what you'd be at or anybody really over the last 10, 12 years with the bull market, right? Yeah. So now, so as we, as you, you say, oh, I never thought I'd be a four or five million. Has the money changed you? Has it made you happier, more confident? Any difference at all? You know, the term, I think JL Collins calls it FU money. Like <laughs> that in the back of my mind. Uh, yeah, it, diff- it gives me more security to take risks. So, for example, when I was in this, in my past company and I decided I didn't like the job. I quit, you know, I, I changed jobs pretty quickly and I, I went to another position, sort of changed industries um, where I probably will be a step back for the next year or two in income of, of what, what I've used to been making. But uh, yeah, it gave me more confidence to take risks and in, in kind of taking this uh, this career change. But we don't spend it. I mean, well, listen, we I I spend what we make, so we have not tapped uh, any of the money that we've accumulated. So in my mind, still, it's, it's this is earmarked for later in life when uh when i'm done you know the w2 job yeah so you've got a couple kids tim how does the money affect them as the net worth grows and as if you are spending more as you're making more your net worth grows are you spending more is is it hard to keep a sense of entitlement is that something you think about i mean how how do you approach teaching your kids about money well, we're, so that's exactly what we're trying to do is, is teach the kids about money. <laughs> so whenever we go on road trips from the cars, I'm, I'm listening to financial podcasts. They've heard many of the millionaires unveiled uh, episodes from you guys. Uh, I talk to them about budgeting. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of budgeting. I use you need a budget because um, I'm a bad spender. If I don't track it and if I don't allocate my money, um, I'm the problem in our relationship and I'll spend money on stupid stuff. So I have to I, I tend to earmark it whenever we get money. So I'm talking to kids about about budgeting. I'm talking to them about credit cards. Um, I even have both kids set up with their own investment accounts. So now the fidelity has gone down to um, you know very low minimums to start investing in the total stock market index and their other index funds. Uh, I tell them whenever you get money, if it's birthday money, if it's Christmas money, whatever, invest a portion of it. So we're we're teaching them at a young age uh, to invest the the about compounding interest. And how credit cards work, things that my parents never really talked to me about, and things, frankly, that that weren't even taught to me in high school or college. Yeah, let's dive a little bit more into that because I think that it's pretty unique, given that you know the success that you've had, and then the intentionality that you've definitely demonstrated. You know, passing that along. You mentioned earlier you've got something, you got an education account set up. Is that correct? We do. Yeah, we and- get that. Five- 29s set up. And then we always get the question sometimes, you know, what if our kids don't go to college? Have you ever thought through that scenario and, and maybe what you would do with that money if that if that happens in your own family? Or is it kind of, hey, this is earmarked for that. If it doesn't happen, then we're going to pass it down to the next generation type thing. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, when we, you know, it is sort of assumed that they're going to go to college, but 
who's to say they don't and honestly that every time i hire an electrician and i'm paying him 100 bucks an hour i'm saying man <laughs> like this guy's got a pretty good gig and he works you know it's him and his his truck right he's not reporting to anybody so um yeah there is there is that possibility that the kids might not go to college they could go they could join the military they could join the trades but um i don't know we've got we've got a decent a decent amount earmarked for them and uh one tip too for your listeners and for you guys uh, i uh, i use the fidelity 529 visa where it's two percent cash back and when i worked for my prior company i traveled a ton and uh, all the expenses that I would uh, pay for when I traveled, I would just put in my credit card. So I would I used to get like three to four thousand dollars a year in uh, in free money from that using that uh, that Fidelity Visa that pumped it right into our five twenty nine. And then you mentioned you also have another account set up for them. Is that correct? Yeah. So we, when they were both born, um, we did see them each with their own investment account uh, just to kind of get a nest egg going for them. So that's at about. I think it's like $40,000 total, like 20K per kid right now. And we contribute like a hundred bucks every quarter to that. They don't know about that money yet. Um, that might, I'm, I'm still not sure how we'll present that to them. If it might be a wedding gift or when they start working, you know, introduce it and, and maybe start to have them contribute to it. But uh, yeah, we're trying to get a, a nest egg going for them. Just to, uh, basically a hundred bucks a quarter at this point for each kid. Well, you better not listen to this episode in the car with them then. <laughs> What what are, you, what are you doing about the taxes on those? On for the kids' investment accounts? Correct. Uh, that's something my CPA has handled. Uh, I don't know. They, we haven't really filed a tax return. I hope the IRS isn't listening right now, but <laughs> we have not filed tax returns <laughs> for the kids. But uh, he said, you know, he, I ran it by him. He said the numbers are so small, I wouldn't worry about it. So we have, uh, I'm sure we'll cross that bridge when, when we get to it, when it gets to a certain size or when the kids actually start um, filing their taxes. Definitely admirable to what what you've done and you know playing that out for for your kids. I mean, they're going to definitely be able to get a leg up for sure. And it's it's something that we we like to talk about when people bring it up on the show. But we you know it's far and few between. And and on that note, do you have a will or do you have an estate plan? Is that something that you've gone down in your financial journey as well, or not yet? Yeah, we do have a will. That's about it. And we we have. We did uh, review it about a year ago. We changed some uh, some legal guardians. We had to meet with the attorney and, and change that. But uh, yeah, it is something. Now that we're at the size we are, I have I, it has been in the back of my mind to to maybe talk with an estate attorney to see uh, what else we can be doing to just in in the unlikely event we pass sooner rather than later, um, how to protect this for the kids and not and not uh, the uh, government take their take their pound of flesh. Um, I've heard the term like non revoke. Uh, what is it? Uh, a living trust, non revocable living trust, or, or transferable living trust. I'm not sure the terminology, but there's I've heard of, of setting up a trust is a, a way to help bypass taxes if something happens to us. So just to wrap up here, I want to get into a, a few rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Probably in Vegas, maybe 250 bucks for me and my wife. What's the most expensive car you've purchased? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I've had my fair share of cars. Probably the most expensive is what I'm driving now, which is a, uh, a Ford Raptor pickup truck. It was 68000 Did you buy that brand new? I did. Was that the only brand new car you've ever purchased? Uh, no, I've had a few in my day. Okay. What's the most expensive vacation you all have taken? Or experience uh, to Hawaii. We we love going to Maui and uh, traveling there from from Massachusetts isn't cheap. But um, again, we we only go there when I've uh, had large deals that have closed that have allowed me to to fund that for our family. But we we absolutely love Maui. I, I hope to re- I hope to spend winters there someday. Okay, what is worth spending the money on? Travel experiences and my kids. 
what is not worth spending the money on? Things. Things that, um, I don't know. Car, I say cars are not good, but I, I don't know. I love my truck, man. When we travel, it's my, my truck is the perfect blend of, of like a BMW, but that's something that's just super comfortable for our, our kids and our dogs to travel in. So I would say cars are, are not worth it. Uh, but I don't know, man. I love my truck. It puts, it puts a smile on my face every time I start it. And, it's super comfortable for our family to travel in. If you're looking back over the last 20, 20, 25 years, as it relates to your money, how would you advise somebody to allocate their finances as it relates to investments, housing, cars, experiences, et cetera? Well, number one is live below your means. Like live as, as low below your means as, as possible where you still enjoy and have a good quality of life. There's different schools of thought on, on paying off your mortgage. You know, in hindsight, we paid ours off aggressively, but in hindsight, had I invested it, our net worth would be higher than it is today. But for me, there was just that peace of mind of knowing that like, we've got that financial security that if I did lose my job again, or if I became incapacitated and I couldn't work, that my family has a roof over their head. So I, I think there's that, that fine line of, you got to kind of find that balance of, okay, pay down debt aggressively. Um, don't have debt if you don't need it, but then invest as much as you can all the time, even when times are bad. And it seems like the sky is falling. Keep investing. Would you advise somebody to invest more and not take some of those experiences earlier or take some of those experiences and push off some of the investments to later if, it's, do, if it comes down to that choice? I would do both if you, if you can. I mean, to me, I guess it all depends on, on what you're what you're at for income, right? But like for me, it was all like, all right, kind of get your house in order, right? If, can you have you maxed out your four hundred one k, or have you contributed as much as you can to get your company match if you're lucky enough to have one? Um, from there, you know, have you funded your Roth IRA or a backdoor Roth IRA if you're over the income limits? So I, I don't know. At the end of at the beginning of each year, I always create financial goals, and I, I you know we we create them together with my wife. And we review them on a quarterly basis. And as long as we're hitting those financial goals, then we'll do the other things, right? Like the travel or things that we might need for the house or a home improvement, something like that. How long have you been doing that with your wife? Since uh, probably since like 2010. So okay. we have, uh, yeah, we, we track our, we track our net worth. I've been tracking our net worth since I think yeah, about 2008, 2009. And uh, yeah, start of every year, I, I show her where we're at, what our goals are for the year and hopefully how we're going to get there. And uh, it's fun. I love tracking it. It's fun to look back on uh, and see where we were like 2015, 2012, 2010. It's inspiring. What does the future hold? Yeah. You mentioned earlier that, that you're big into reading. Do you watch TV at all too? Yeah, I tend to watch more YouTube TV. Well, YouTube these days, I guess more, I, I tend to follow YouTubers mm -hmm. than, than traditional TV. I just on regular TV, just basically the news. What are some of your favorite books that you would recommend? The, the book that got me going uh, was the first one was probably Automatic Millionaire by David Bach. That one really just got sort of my juices flowing back when I was uh, younger about investing and saving. Uh, I've got a whole bookcase here. So what else is Boglehead Guide to Investing is great. J.L. Collins, Simple Path to Wealth is really good. And then for anyone that um, doubts index fund investing, I love uh, Jack Bogle's little book of common sense investing. That was the one that I read that really convinced me to fire my uh, advisor. Well, Tim, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Going to be worth almost $4 million here pretty soon, probably before the end of the year. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story. Happy to be on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. 
For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.